Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome along to this week's Writer's Routine, where we are chatting to a Nobel Prize winner. Abdul Razak Gurner's new novel is Afterlives. We talk about how important it is to keep telling stories of colonialism from different entry points, also how he knows when he's ready to start writing again, and why he's never really got on with a word count. I kind of admire, in a way, people who who uh, set themselves targets like that. I, I believe Somerset Mom used to say he would write 5,000 words um, from whatever, from eight o'clock to about twelve o'clock, and then go and have a good oozy lunch uh, and sleep it off in the afternoon. Uh, so to be able to work with that kind of precision uh, must be very comforting. There is more with Nobel Prize winning Abdul Razak Gurner in this week's writer's routine. Welcome along to the show. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. My name's Dan. The job is to uncover some of the secrets of the most successful writers to see how they get stuff done, to see if there are any tricks or tips that we can use along the way. Now, this week, our episode is brought to you by Plotter. Very excited that for a little while, Plotter are helping to power this show, just like they can power your writing. Now, Plotter is a writing tool, and it's one that does what the title says. It helps you plot. It helps you plan your books the way that you think. It gives you the tools to outline faster, organise smarter and turbocharge your productivity. Now, they can sound like buzzwords sometimes, but I think this can really work because when you open the software, you get this digital corkboard that makes it so simple to plan and visualise everything that you need to get your story down. And when you're there, you can easily swap between the timeline, outline, your notes, the details on your characters and places. You can even tag all of them to make it easier for you to skim through. When you're in the throes of writing, all of it's colour-coded like it might be on a notebook, only it's right there on the screen where you need it. If you're someone that is a visual writer, if you like bright things to be easily accessible... This will really help you out. It lets you track all the details of your plot at a scene level and then switch, swap and use them as you'd like. And what I really love about it is if you're having trouble getting an idea into a manageable plot, if you've got just the entry line of a story, maybe a brief synopsis in your head of what might happen, thinking where can it go from there, what happens next, well, they have 30 proven plot templates to kickstart your story planning. 
more than 30 from some of the best writers around. It just gives you some ideas to snap your story into life. And we've spoken on this podcast about many different types of writing software, and this works with them all. You can import and export from Word and Scrivener to seamlessly transfer your story into some tech that helps you actually write. Because that's what Plotter does. It helps you deal with the back end to give you more time to write and less time worrying about everything else. It helps you strip it back into what is important and what you need to focus on. Now, the best way to see what it does, how stunning it looks and how helpful it can be is by getting to plotter.com and taking a look around. And while you're there, you can get 10% off the software with this show, which means that for under £20, $22.50, it's about 18 quid at the moment, you get access to this software forever to help you plan and plot your story to make you organise smarter and outline faster. To get that deal, use the code and link that is in the episode notes of this show, 10% off. It will streamline your plotting. Get to go.plotter.com forward slash writers routine. Go.plotter.com. Plotter without the E. Plotter.com forward slash writers routine. This week on the show, we're chatting to Abdul Razak Gurna. He won the 2021 Nobel Prize in Literature. Come on. What a guest to tell us about his writing day. Uh, He won it for his uncompromising and compassionate penetration of the effects of colonialism and the fates of refugees in the gulf between cultures and continents. That's why he was given it. And we talk about it, why it's still important to tell these stories. Abdul Razak was forced to flee Zanzibar when he was 18. His book Paradise was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. His book By the Sea was longlisted for the Booker Prize. His new one is called Afterlives. It tells the story of Ilias, uh, stolen from his parents by German troops and trying to return home. Abdul Razak is now Professor Emeritus of English and Postcolonial Literatures at the University of Kent. And we talk about how he managed to balance his writing alongside a hectic job as a lecturer, immersing himself in books all the time. You can hear why he doesn't want to see things when he's writing. All he needs is a blank wall for concentration. We talk about why reading is as important for the process as writing. And he's a Nobel Prize winner. First one I've ever chatted to. So come on, a lot of questions there. We chat through how actually he only knew he had a Nobel Prize. The first he'd heard of it was nine minutes before everyone else did. Now, you might remember I tried to release this episode a few months ago, back in, I think, like October, when the book was new, new. Only there was problems with the audio. I think I've managed to fix it. There are still a couple of glitchy sounding moments, so bear with it. But there's a lot to take away. There's a lot to pick up on with Abdul Razak Gurner and his writer's routine. We start every show with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. At my desk, which is at the top of the house, um, which is like the um, third floor, I suppose you'd call it in in the US. Uh, In other words, round floor, first floor, second floor, we would say. and uh, when I look out of the window, which is right in front of me, um, on a clear day, which today is not, I was probably in the distance see the spires of the cathedral. Um, but in between, I see a lot of roofs uh, and some trees. Um, and that's it. The road is over to the right. I don't really see. So I'm looking across the city um, from... Um, over the tops of houses and trees, and in the distance, the cathedral spire. 
nothing in Canterbury is allowed to be taller than the cathedral. So that's it. So that's outside the window. I mean, uh, what about in the room around you? you? You've written so many books now and, and it, what, what, you know, won some prizes along the way. What is there that uh, allows you to be creative? What inspires you around you? What have you put up? Oh, well, I'm not like that. I prefer not to see what's around me when I'm uh, working, actually. Um, because, uh, yeah, it kind of distracts. Some people like to sit where they can look out and see things and either the Guardian and all that. I prefer to face a wall, actually, to be honest, because then I can just concentrate on what's uh, on my screen and what's in my head. Um, but of course, as you look around, you know, I stop working and I look around, there are familiar things, um, which, um, I suppose, you know, kind of re reorient me and so and sometimes I'll pause and look at that and remember the moment when whatever it is of the photograph or the print uh, memorializes uh, and you can take it back to that face perhaps. What is there anything <laughs> is there anything more productive around you? So um, plot points, maybe post-it notes, a, 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 a whiteboard that you sketch out your ideas on? No, no, I have a notebook beside me um, which in which I do scribble things or have scribbled things in the, you know, kind of over the few weeks and months as, uh, as I'm working on something. So sometimes I, you know, I think, ah, yes, I remember this. As I'm coming to a certain point, and then I will go find that in my notebook. But I don't do post-its and charts and whatever. It's pretty much all in my head. Now we get quite... A particular and specific, I would say, on the show. Um, listeners love to know, you know, what you're writing with. So you mentioned a screen. I take it it's a laptop. Uh, what software do you use? And most nerdily of all, what fonts do you like to write with? Uh, I write at a desktop, actually. I don't write at a laptop. Um, and I use um, um, Windows, what do they call it, 10? Um, and, uh, I'm not sure that I worry too much about the font, but usually I, I like, I like font size 12 anyway, because it's big enough, um, to, to see clearly without peering at the screen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just use a keyboard. I don't, I don't, um, worry too much about, um, particular forms of software or whatever. It's just what comes in the machine. Normally, I'm up by about 7 or so, um, 7.30, um, and I'd probably be sitting at the desk before 8. Um, and generally speaking, I would um, stay there, um, apart from the obvious, <laughs> going downstairs to the bathroom, that kind of thing. I would probably stay there until lunchtime, take a break, um, and then come back to the desk until three, three thirty. Depends how how tiring the day had been, or how productive it had been, or or how hot my studies getting, um, or if there are other things I need to do. But normally about three, I would probably take a break and either do something else or read. That usually is my reading time. So if I'm writing, then I will be writing all day. Um, and quite a lot of the morning is often taken with uh, with uh, revising the previous day's work, going through and making sure that all is well, 
So by mid-morning only, uh, I can take a step forward rather than a step back. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the working, the writing is like, but then reading is also part of all of this. And, um, so the couple of hours or three hours or so of reading late in the afternoon is also part of the, uh, of the writing program in a way. It may be I'm reading something that is appropriate to what I'm writing, or it may be just something um, occurs to me. It might be entertaining, I mean, in the sense of uh, engaging uh, to read in relation for whatever I'm doing. Not necessarily research, I mean, but it's really just uh, something that in the writing process I thought, oh yeah, there's such and such a moment in such and such a text, I'll see if I can go and read it. When you're reading these books, what is it? What is it about them that is inspiring to you towards any particular project that you're working on? I know I, it's not inspiration. I think it's inspiring it comes from inside. Um, of course, in the longer term, because you read things and you store things and process them. In the longer term, uh, what you read does the lecks. So, but the reading I'm talking about is not really to do with inspiring what I'm writing at the moment. Um, so I might be reading, I might be writing, and then I might think, oh yes, uh, uh, I'll, I'll go and just read Oliver Fist again. It's not because it's going to be something to do with uh, what I'm writing, but I just feel uh, you know, a hankery for Oliver Fist. So I'll, I'll go and read that. Occasionally, of course, there is something very specific uh, that I want to check or something like that. Um, and that's a different kind. Then that is research, in that it's very focused, it's instrumental, um, and either it's something that already I uh, had read in the past already, and so looking to look it up, check. Or these days, of course, uh, you can find a great deal of the information uh, online, by which I mean, because I was uh, teaching for so many years at the university, they very kindly um, allow somebody like me, whom they call an emeritus, is a kind of retired professor. Uh, they allow me to have full access to the university library. So if I need to know anything, very these days, especially with e-books, with uh, uh, articles online and left cards, um, it's really incredibly easy to just uh, check up on whatever you need to know. Um, and because I still belong to the university in that respect, and I don't have, I don't have to pay to have access to it and have to do it through the library. It's a wonderful perk. Uh, now, when you start to write every day, so you're saying that this is probably more towards the afternoon when you've made some slight revisions through the morning. Is there a name for what you're working on that day? Is there a, a point in the plot? That you'll be happy to get to? Is there a word limit that you, you, you'd like to reach? Uh, well, you ought to reach as many damn words as you can. If, if possible, write as much as you can. Um, but there is no hurry. Um, I, I kind of admire, in a way, people who who uh, set themselves targets like that. I, I believe Somerset Maugham used to say he would write 5,000 words um, from whatever, from eight o'clock to about twelve o'clock, and then go and have a good oozy lunch, uh, and sleep it off in the afternoon. Uh, so to be able to work with that kind of precision uh, must be very comforting. No, some days it's 
couple of phases. I think, um, generally speaking, uh, I would be disappointed if I didn't get a couple of phases. But I don't expect much more than that. So, sorry. That's that's the kind of uh, aim. Like it's, um, bad days you know, with a couple of paragraphs. That's interesting. If there is no, um, if there is no kind of goal for the day, how do you know when you're done? How how are you satisfied with 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 your work if it comes to the evening time and you have to stop typing? Uh, I don't think it's difficult when you get stuck. Uh, or rather when you have several options and you can't decide um, which one you would like to go for or quite possibly when uh, sometimes you sense that when it's not quite uh, working as you want it to work things are not quite you sense it are not quite right in some way it might be just a small way and rather than um, you know struggling suddenly Sometimes I find it's better to just say, okay, just leave it. I'll look at it again next door. Um, but, but usually, if everything's going smoothly, usually it'll be, I like to stop when I know what the next thing's going to be. Because say it means that when, I've, that when I get to the point of actually writing the next day, I'm not sitting there staring at the screen thinking, now what? Uh, I already have what the next step will be. Uh, and so it's quite nice to be able to recall it a day with that knowledge that's okay, tomorrow I'll start on this. And and at the end of the day, when you have called it a day, um, your, your books can be quite, well, all-encompassing to and very immersive to read, let alone to write, I would imagine. So in, in the evening, um, how good are you at switching off from your novel or how much does it stay with you when you find it hard to concentrate on other things because your characters keep coming back uh it's not that hard uh there are other things to do i love cooking so i mean it's also thinking you know i find that you can carry on thinking uh or i can carry on thinking without it being a hassle or you know an obsession or something like that so Sometimes, if I'm lucky, a couple of nice sentences that occur to me um, in my mind, as it were, without meeting at the desk, I think, oh, that's nice. I was, I was trying to remember that. Uh, I used to be much better as when I was younger, of course, just remembering the sentences. Sometimes these days they don't come back the next day if I don't write them down somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's, there are always other things to do. There's harmony, there's people to talk to. And, so I don't carry on throughout the whole time, but things do keep popping in, and um, and sometimes just before going to sleep, something I see, you see, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, I'll I'll try and remember that one. At points when the words are struggling to come out, when you're in the middle of the day, um, but you feel like you need to push on. What have you learned helps kind of grease the wheels and unclog the block? Some authors listen to a certain piece of music. Some will have a uh, spot of coffee. Is there anything that you do? Uh, no, because generally speaking, I don't have that experience. Um, I write quite slowly. Um, and if something's not coming, I just sort of keep fiddling till it works out. Um, and and something does come. Sometimes you know you've written something which will need further attention, but you want to move on, or I want to move on to 
to some other destination that I can see. So sometimes I sometimes leave things um, in a state where I know they will be revisiting. Uh, and if nothing's happening, then I just uh, yeah, go into something else. And that's, that's, that doesn't happen very often. Usually I can just sort of stick it out until I get it right. Now, I speak to many authors on the show who are into book deals where they need to write, you know, a couple of books a year. I've spoken to some who have to try and get three books a year down. You're in a position where you've been able to take some breaks between books. Um, I guess, how do you know when it's the right time for you to sit down and start writing again? Is there some grand publication plan that you want to publish in 2022 then maybe 2025 or is it are you fortunate enough to be in a position where you can say you know what now I'm, I'm ready to go again yeah it's more the latter really because for, for uh for most of my uh professional life most as an academic and as well as as a as a novelist uh what well, i've been working i've been uh, teaching for all uh, before even the, i published the first book I was already uh, teaching at the university here at Camp in Canterbury. Uh, so all all the time that I, um, I was writing novels, I was also teaching. So when to write was not always my decision entirely. Uh, it also depended on the availability of uh, headspace and and you just simply the, the space to, to be Unoccupied as well with uh, with teaching and associated activities. So uh, the reason that there are gaps, which is quite fine with me, I'm not troubled by that. But the reason there are gaps because I I really had to wait for the time. It could be vacation during the reverse vacation. That's when I would write, or it could be a period of suddenness. That's um, every few years the. Uh, and I'm sure the same is true uh, almost in almost any university uh, climate, atmosphere, location. Uh, every few years, you get time to do your own research. So you, you don't have any teaching except doing your own work. So those are the delighting times. To some extent, then, uh, uh, my writing was driven by those sorts of uh, uh, cycles and availability and so on. I didn't write during term time. I didn't. I didn't allow as well my time to be competed over. When I was, when I was uh, teaching, I was an academic and gave my time fully for that. Um, and then I'd find the time to write, and then I would write fiction. It doesn't mean that your mind is not working in the meantime. It doesn't mean that your notebook is not filling up. But um, but that's not the same thing as actually that concentrated attention to the text. Um, for me, and I, I, I really like having six, seven, eight weeks when I know I can do what I've described, which is just get up every morning, sit at my desk, and do nothing else, unless I wish to. If you know that you're approaching uh, a period when you're you will be able for seven or so weeks to to sit there and work, um, how how do you kind of prepare for that? How much do you like to know about your story before you sit down and start typing? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, because I, I like to know quite a bit. I mean, because I keep notes and sometimes, um, at the 
Well, whatever it might be that I think, right, I think I'm ready now because I have the time and because I've done enough thinking about this and enough reading about this, I'm ready to begin. Uh, and it might be that whatever then comes out is not actually the beginning at all, um, but a place to start, which as you progress, um, especially these days with the capacity that we have for moving texts around, um, then it might mean that at some stage as we into the, as I'm into the lighting, I think, no, no, this is not a good place. Let me start with that. But until it takes a little while to kind of uh, get the shape of it um, to be steady enough to say, right, now the next thing is, Henry Foley is sort of like, uh, might be an episode, then an episode, and another episode which will not be exactly following one on from the other uh, until some kind of shape, more firm shape, uh, begins to interest itself. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We are back with more from Abdul Razak Gurna in just a little bit. Thank you so much to Plotter for sponsoring the show this week. You can get 10% off their software with this show to get the deal, to streamline the plotting and the back end of your storytelling, get to go.plotter.com forward slash writer's routine. There's no E in plotter. Go.plotter.com forward slash routine. There's no E in plotter. Go.plotter.com forward slash routine. Now, I'd love to hear about the best book that you read this year, by the way, that you have read this year, by the way. Um, I think for 2023, I'm going to use the hive mind of our writing community here just to get some book recommendations. The best thing that you've read this year doesn't need to have been published this year. Doesn't really need to be that topical. Can be anything. That's the benefit of being fortunate to have listeners, to have you tuned into the show from completely different parts around the world. We'll have so many different books from different genres that can be recommended to us. Let me know the best book that you have read this year 
and I will stick it on the website. You can actually look at some of the books that we've had picked for us on the book recommendation page over at writersroutine.com. While you're there, use the contact form and you can tell me about the best thing that you've read in 2023. You can also send it as an email to writersroutine at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you've learned anything along the way, and this week we've got a Nobel Prize winner on, by the way, You can support us and help us carry on bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as possible. To do that, get to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Doesn't require a lot. Just a few dollars a month really keeps us going. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. For that, you get merch, bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor the show. And it just helps us out. And I know times are tight. So anything that you can sling our way goes an extraordinarily long way. To show your support for the show, become a backer, pledge over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Nobel Prize winning Abdul Razak Gurna talking about his new novel Afterlives. We chat through how he gets to know his characters and we talk about the Nobel Prize. Come on, how many Nobel Prize winners have you spoken to? I had so many questions, so little time, so he kept to the important things. And we discover how he only knew it was happening, that he was even in the conversation nine minutes before it was announced. That's on the way, and we pick things up. Talking about his writing, which isn't specifically genre-led, so how much does he think about plot points and beats before he starts writing? I usually begin with an idea, uh, a problem, an issue, uh, or in some cases... um something bigger than that. So like with Afterlives, I knew I wanted to write about that, uh, that historical episode of the First World War, as it's called, the War in 1914, 1918. Uh, that historical episode as it happened in, uh, in that part of the world, in East Africa. And I knew that that's what I wanted to write about. Um, and then the thinking is about um, how to approach that. You know, what's, what's, in other words, how, how to organize, how to dramatize. It's a pleasure of writing for me. Uh, that once the idea becomes solid and clear, uh, and then trying to think about how to, how to approach it, how to do it, how to show it so that you get to, to reveal, to get to the kind of uh, exposure uh, that you want or to, to, to expose to the inflections that we have on that issue if you want to write about. That's the pleasure of just sort of trying to work it out. Um, and um, so then it doesn't need plotting, I mean, it's just that the, the, the idea or the, the destination is there. And things occur because uh, then things kind of uh, um, pile up on top of each other. There's a way, you know, sort of uh, the 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 original idea begins to build up its other ideas as you go along. And sometimes something occurs in the process, uh, right? And sometimes, if you're lucky, you just reach across for a book that you um, see out of, almost out of boredom as well, out of casually read, reach over for a book. And it's just exactly the right thing, you know? And um, there is that kind of serendipity at times. This, this is interesting. And in it goes. It's called Writer's Luck. I've never heard of Writer's Luck before. I've, I hear many times about Writer's Block, but never Writer's Luck. Well, that's that's one example of just just kind of a. Or sometimes, uh, you know, you're watching a, um, a documentary or something like that, and 
just it is about the, the very subject that we've been mulling over fifty. But you weren't watching it because you knew it was going to be there. You just just a chance. There it is, staring you in the face. That is life of love. Well, I tell you what. Let's let's focus on that process then with the novel Afterlives. You said you, you wanted to focus on this very specific period of history. Um, what made you want to explore that? A few books in now. Um, what made you? want to ask questions and reflect on those very specific years in Africa? Yeah, well, um, in an earlier novel, Paradise, uh, the final episode of that novel is uh, actually a recruiting drive for the German colonial army. Um, and that's how the novel ends with the, the young man. You see the subject, mostly, the main subject of the novel uh, joins up. When I started to write Firehouse, that was actually the first thing I wrote, that final episode. Um, but then I became interested in how this uh, young man would, then about 18 or so at that point, by the end of the novel, how would he have got to that point uh, of doing such a, such a strange thing as joining uh, German colonial army just before the start of the Latin-Portian War? Um, so it ended up being the story of the boy. In fact, the novel begins with the boy first and then continues to that point that I've just described. I've always been interested in that historical period, partly because, uh, I grew up hearing stories about it, um, because it wasn't in the 1950s, it was a long time after the 1918, of course, but there are people still alive who had participated in some form. Um, in that war, uh, in that confrontation, uh, including uh, a grandfather uh, of mine who had been conscripted into the German carrier uh, corps. The, the roads were not good enough for vehicles, so material, uh, the personal as well as the, uh, a military material, could only be transported by being basically carried on people's backs and heads. Anyway, he was uh, somebody who used to talk about the experiences in the war. He survived. Many of the carriers did not. It was, it was quite a horrible position to be in. Um, and many of them were actually coerced um, into doing perhaps a particular fast. Anyway, so I heard about it. In fact, uh, although it, many people have said to me, I didn't know anything about this uh, historical episode or the presence of uh, German uh, colonials in the Eastern Africa. So the fact that it's little known elsewhere is, is um, in fact, if anything, is still reason for wanting to vitalize it because it's it's uh, an episode that's, that uh, isn't well known and uh, it's a good thing always to know, much better to know than not to. So that's how I got to, to writing about this subject. And as you are writing, what's the intention of it? Is it to explore this period yourself, to reflect on it as a novelist in your characters, or or is it to make the make the audience, make make the readers reflect on this period of history that they might not have had an idea about? Yeah, well, all of those things, of course. Uh, when you, I mean, writing or literature or both writer and reader is uh, a complex. Uh, 
encounters. Uh, we read out of fourth primarily because we find um, pleasure in whatever form it is. We find pleasure in the processing um, because the writing is well uh, executed because it treats us, pleases us in some deep place, uh, like Eastern Tunisia, somewhere like that. But it also tells us about things we don't know, almost always. Even if it's about situations that we're very familiar with, uh, when when writing is interesting, is because it makes us see again what we think we know. Um, but at times, it also tells us something completely new to us. It brings us news, in other words. It tells us what we both know. Um, so all of those things, really, and if you're lucky, you get all of them in one one novel. Uh, th- this is a, a a very simple question that uh, I'd, I'd like you to try and it, it, you know go into detail on, which might be tough. But how much are you thinking about the very next word that you're writing? Um, does it have to almost earn its place? Is there a purpose for it there, or is it just let's get it out and then we'll we'll try and fix things later. How, how fancy are you thinking, I guess, with your words? I, I don't strain uh, like that. That sounds like a straining business, making words struggle out. I quite enjoy writing. Um, I, and I don't find uh, it painful to write. I hear sometimes rather saying what a struggle it was. The struggle is not really to get the words out. The struggle for me is to, to shape and to here and keep listening until the until the balance is right. Um, so getting the words out is, you know, the words count. And then you look and you think, ah, maybe not. Try again. Uh, and and sometimes, like I said earlier, it's it's actually quite good to to just uh, say, I know that's not quite right. And leave it for now and on, and then return it to make a date, perhaps the next day, or even later, and find out what's wrong. Because sometimes you can hear what's wrong. I can, I think. So, but you can't always hear it immediately while uh, as you're thinking it through and putting it down. But when you go away and you come back and then read it and think, you know, this something isn't right here. No, what is this? But that too is a pleasure. You know, it's a pleasure to, to, to knock it into shape, as it were. Well, it takes a long time to write. Uh, I have an ideal. Who these people are when I begin, but I don't busy know them very well. Um, and it's really only as as uh, as I write that I think, would this person do this? Possibly. Or this person no, maybe not. So so in that way you I kind of build up this figure um by um by as well putting the person or the, the character rather not the person, the figure in contingent situations, let's say, would this person do this? What kind of person is this? Um, and so if that's how you, how I, uh, I get to know them. Now, you've been much celebrated for your writing on the experience of colonialism. How important is it uh, to keep telling these stories and to explore them, as you've said, and reflect on them through different entry points, I guess? Well, I don't think I have any choice. Um, I think, I don't think many, I don't think writers really have sort of like a wide horizon or landscape or whatever. Uh, most of the time, it seems to me, writers have, uh, particular concerns that they return to from different, uh, perspectives or different positions or whatever. Um, not because they say, 
uh, this is my subject balls. But because you really don't have that much choice, these are the things that are snagging your mind. Um, these are the things that keep coming back um, and think, well, I didn't, didn't quite get that uh, to that point. Or there's something interesting you said about whatever it was. Uh, so it's not really a matter of saying colonialism, colonialism, or whatever. Although I do talk about colonialism, but I also talk a great deal about a great deal of uh, other things uh, that are to do with uh, human relationships, have to do with uh, caring for others, have to do with kindness, to do with affection, to do with family life, um, etc. Like all of us do. Uh, the fact is that uh, for for many of us. For me, certainly, the consequences of European colonialism on uh, various parts of the world, certainly on my part of the world or on the African continent, the consequences that are still profoundly with us. So it's not just a matter of writing about something that happened. It's writing about something that we are still engaged with, that's still seriously impinging on our national and social lives of people. Uh, in various parts of the world. Now, um, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about the Nobel Prize, just because I've never, ever spoken to a Nobel Prize winner before. Um, no, right. <laughs> um, when were you... When were you made aware? Like, is it some... Uh, how, how does it, you know... Do you just find out when they announce it? Do you get, like, a little email beforehand? No, you get a phone call beforehand. Just beforehand. I got the phone call at uh, nine minutes to twelve. Uh, and the announcement was made at 12 o'clock. Were you aware that this was in the pipeline, or was this complete news to you, that you had even been discussed for, for it? I was completely unaware. In fact, when I got the phone call, I thought it was a prank. That's amazing. And it, it, it does it come with a pressure now for you writing? Is it something, because it's such a prestigious award um, that's known the world over, um, and it, it kind of, builds you up to set such an extent to, to a certain extent rather uh, how much pressure do you think that might bring to the way you tell stories in the future well i don't know yet do i because most of the time now i'm not doing it as writing at all i'm talking to you truly that's that's what's been happening since october whatever i've just uh talking with people which is fine you know it's not a it's not a complaint it's to say that that's that's the deal we get uh this kind of uh, honor and award and so on, you want to know, want to hear from me. Uh, and also there are all these new editions that are coming out. And so that means that, you know, uh, publishers want you to speak to uh, good journalists and to our readers and so on. And lastly, um, is it a physical award? Do you get like a medal or something? Yeah, you get, uh, you get a medal, you get a... A, a kind of a stroll thing, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, some document anyway, which is quite grand looking. Um, then you get a check. And you get, and you get a lot of attention and, uh, and it makes you feel very happy because uh, you've been recognized in this way and you are now part of, a, of such a fantastic team of writers as well who preceded you, very full admire. Now, uh, and people want to read your books, so what? Um, how much happier can it be as a writer? 
Thank you to Abdul Razak Gurna for coming on the show. Uh, his new book is Afterlives. You can grab a copy right now. In the meantime, I'd love to hear about the best book that you've read this year. Send it over to me, writersroutine at gmail.com, or you can use the contact page on our website, writersroutine.com, where you can see all the other books that have been recommended to us through 2023. You can also support the show and back us at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. And if you'd like to support the show and get some help with the plotting and the back end of your writing, all the planning, get to go.plotter.com forward slash routine. And we will be back next week with Elsie North, who has got a new book out. It's called Ugly Truth. It combines her fascination of celebrity culture and her love of psychology in a brilliant thriller. It's called The Ugly Truth. We'll hear about it with Elsie North next week on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.